0: Hi and welcome to this latest edition of the SEPAD podcast and today I'm, I'm really excited that joining me is Professor Nader Hashemi who's the Director of the Centre for Middle Eastern Studies at the University of Denver. So Nader, good morning, thank you for joining good us. Morning.
1: Happy to be with you, Simon. Thanks it's,
0: for the invitation. Oh, it's really kind of you to join us, and I'm I'm particularly excited to have you on the show today, because I've got a number of PhD students who are incredibly big fans of your work, who are using your your recent work a lot in their work, so so it's wonderful to get to talk to you about things.
1: Well, I'm flattered. I'm happy to talk to you as well.
0: Great. Well, um, I thought that perhaps it'd be really interesting to to start by just getting a bit of your, your background, Nadir, no, if that's okay, just a sense of of how you've got to where you are today, intellectually, please.
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. Um, In your previous conversation with Basil Salouk, he talked about his own intellectual background, and I found it actually quite interesting in terms of understanding his own work, and I'm happy to talk about my own background. Um, uh, I'm the child of immigrant uh, parents, um, immigrants from the Middle East, Iran in particular, who came to Canada um, in the late 1980s. 60s, and I was, you know, born and raised in um, in Canada for most of my life. Right. Um, um, growing up in a in a um, a family that you know took religion seriously, and it was a family from Iran a background sure. with with a majority Shia population. But we were sort of raised in a, a majority. Uh, Sunni Muslim community. Of course, back then, these distinct these distinctions didn't matter. There was actually there was a sense there was a difference, um, but not like they do today. And so I think that is quite relevant, I think, as a point of departure for my interest in this broad study of sectarianism is I have a memory of of what um, relations were like. Um, between uh, Sunnis and Shias, at least in the community in Canada that I grew up with, that was much more amicable right. and peaceful than they are today. Okay, um, so that's that's I think one sort of I think point that I would share with your listeners um, is that uh, that that history of mine is quite I think uh, shapes my my own interest in the topic I and. Uh, yeah, and then, of course, the other big seminal event was really the Iranian Revolution. In terms of my own life, my uh, my father was a political activist. He was very sympathetic to the revolution. And our family ended up moving back to Iran from Canada after the revolution in right. 1980, okay. where I was able to live um, and witness the early days of the revolution. And so that was a formative experience, understanding the, the whole... Um, um, the inner politics of Iran, its relationship sure. to the broader world, um, you know, debates on religion. Democracy, secularism, human rights—all um, of those things were deeply, I think, foundational and um, shaped my own um, intellectual trajectory.
0: I imagine that must have been a, a really fascinating time. Can you can you share us a couple of the the memories that you have from from moving back to Iran, from growing up in Canada, and going back to a, a post-revolutionary climate? <laughs>
1: It was. I mean, it was difficult for me because I was barely a teenager then. So, sure. just in terms of the culture shock, um, I didn't speak the language fluently. I understood it. Right. Um, so, from a personal perspective, as a, as, a, as you know, someone who was barely a teenager, that was a bit of a challenge. But looking back, it was actually just a wonderful experience because not only did it expose me to um, a part of the Islamic world. That uh, is incredibly important, but it was it was at a time when society was in full-scale sort of intellectual upheaval, debate, contestation over um, the role of religion in politics. Of course, um, there was uh, the iran I was there when the Iran-Iraq War broke out. I was there during the post-revolutionary power struggles between different political factions that were supportive of the revolution. Uh, different members of my family took different political positions. I was able to witness a lot of the street, you know, protests, uh, demonstrations, um, arrests, crackdowns. Um, so it was it was just, you know, I was and I was old enough to sort of take it in. My younger siblings, I think, don't have the same type of memory uh, that I do. And it was really, you know, that experience that uh, shaped my own interest in the study of religion and politics and, and why when I ended up, you know, choosing, you um, uh, a graduate program and a, a dissertation topic i chose to write on the relationship between um um you know religion uh, secularism and democracy in the context of the contemporary you know islamic world so uh, you know th- that's a brief overview of, of some of the some of the thoughts i have when i look back on my childhood
0: right well that that i can certainly see the the impact on your intellectual journey so you've mentioned your your graduate, your your master's thesis. What about your your undergraduate studies?
1: Yeah, it was in it was in political science. Right. Um, um, it was at a at a, a small university. Um, well, in the context of Canada, in on the province of Ontario, University of Western Ontario, where I did my undergraduate experience, I was very lucky to have uh, come into contact with some very good professors that I thought uh, really shaped me, took me under their wing, guided me in terms of what I should be reading, what I shouldn't be reading, really inspired me uh, intellectually and uh, encouraged me to do a PhD. Um, these are people who don't have prominent names in, uh, the academic literature in the topic, but there were very good teachers who really inspired, um, in me as a, as a young student, um, a deep interest in uh, trying to understand the challenges uh, that developing societies were facing, particularly in the context of the Middle East, um, in a post-colonial environment, um, uh, societies that were going through revolution, upheaval, uh, that were facing foreign interventions and struggling with the whole, you know, Tension and transition between traditional uh, modes of social organization and behavior and politics with the more the modern demands of sort of democracy, human rights, and state building. So those professors were, you know, um, you know, ones that um, that I look back on uh, with a lot of fond memory because they really shaped my, my intellectual thinking.
0: Well, that that's really interesting to hear, and I can certainly see how how those types of discussions and debates have shaped your your later work in particular. But I wonder what how how did you reflect on what you'd seen in Iran through this this sort of Western political science literature? Did it did it shed any light on things?
1: Well, that's that's a great question. You know, there's um, there's this wonderful um, quotation from someone who um, I consider an intellectual mentor. He just passed away. uh, The late, great Alfred Stepan, one of the great theorists of democracy, where he says a lot of our intellectual uh, um, uh, projects are problem driven. Sure. And, he, and he, says, he says in his book on, on arguing uh, comparative politics that we, we often select a problem to work on because we feel deeply uneasy with the classical literature on it, especially if that literature seems to be at odds with aspects of the world to which we have, per, we have been personally exposed to and which affects us deeply. And um, that is, uh, I think, an observation that applies to my own interest in uh, the study of Middle Eastern politics, uh, particularly the, uh, the the study of Iran. There, you know, uh, there there is now, I think, a very good literature in terms of the politics of Iran, both internally and its role in the region. But when I was when I was growing up, that literature was still. Um, um very limited and so the, the the dominant narrative and shaping and discussion of Iran at least in the West in my classes was very much through the prism of a Washington foreign policy consensus in terms of the challenge that Iran poses to Western interests yes. very little you know understanding or interest in terms of the internal dynamics of so. Iranian society why things why the country exploded in revolution you know the emergence of you know a, a reform movement the struggles for democracy and human rights so that was a bit Big, you know, a big, um, uh, reason for me to get interested in these debates, although my dissertation topic was partially on Iran, it was much more theoretically focused on the, the deeper uh, intellectual tensions and challenges between religion and democracy and, in in uh, Muslim majority societies that are that are going through you know early phases of modernization. Uh, but there was this discontent, you know, and in, in the classes yeah. that I would take, there was often a um, a very shallow analysis and understanding. Of what was happening in the broader Middle East, in Iran in particular, that that you know generated anxiety and tension and a, and a desire to try and fix, uh, in huh. my own small way, some of the right. some of the uh, intellectual uh, understandings of, of this particular part of the world.
0: Well, again, that, that's echoing comments from Basel and um, Banafsheh, who we, we spoke to last week about that the real normative agenda in driving people to go and look into these problems in more detail. So is that something that you you consciously chose when you went to go to do your your uh, PhD thesis? Then,
1: yeah, it was. It was something that you know was in the background of my mind. I, I had a broad interest. Um, this whole uh, question and theme of you know secularism was a theme that was you know um, poorly understood in terms of its um, its its importance in terms of the. Concept and and uh, um, the the uh, the development of democracy in the West, but also much more importantly in terms of my own, you know, personal experience, the term secularism was very much, uh, you know, it, growing up in Canada, it was a it was a concept that was bandied about with a lot of positive attributes and celebrated as an important sort of achievement in terms of uh, you know human civilization. But in the context yeah. of the contemporary Middle East and particularly Iran, you know, secularism has a very different historical experience and meaning and understanding but so trying to work through you know those different uh, histories of secularism understandings of secularism its great relationship to democracy and how it manifests itself in in, in different parts of the world uh, was was really a driving factor that motivated me to 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 um, to, to study the topic at a deeper level, and and I, I finally was able to you know get accepted into a program and have the time off to really you know spend a good five years uh, reading and 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 writing about the topic, which manifested itself in my doctoral dissertation and my first book. And a lot of that just came from my own personal experience, uh, as I said before, growing up in a very right. secular sort yeah. of democratic society in Canada, but was very much connected to debates in the Muslim world where the term secularism and its connotations and understanding had a very different meaning so trying to reconcile those two tensions was was a driving force for my for my PhD research.
0: Of course and, and that's certainly fascinating and and a lot of that the, the early work that you did is is really driven by those themes and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it looking back on on some of these things and looking back on it from a slightly different perspective prior to this explosion of of sectarian difference if you will we've we've seen that there were there were other themes that were perhaps far more influential in shaping the the debates about middle eastern politics and and i think that that the role of secularism within societies was one of those really fascinating things but i fear that that that's one of those debates that seems to have been overtaken in recent years by by a concept that that you yourself has posed with with Danny Postel, and that is sectarianization. The idea that um, that that this this term seems to have have taken on a a new lease of life for your career, pushing you in a slightly different direction.
1: That's correct. Um, I would say that we. I, I don't have a vivid memory where I made a sort of a commitment to. Uh, to pursue the topic of sectarianism or sectarianization. It really just—I um, uh, would say—I was really—I was rather dragged into <laughs> right. uh, editing the book because of an unfolding developments, you know, in the region where, as you said, now sectarianism uh, has emerged, um, you know, as a core theme in the politics of the, the Middle East and the broader Islamic world, and it was something that was so um, frequently talked about. Um, it was clearly evident. It was an emerging trend, and there was very little, I think, serious scholarship on the topic when we decided to edit a book on the subject. So I was sort of dragged into it again for the reasons that you know um, that Alfred Stepan sort of articulates. There was a um, there was a dominant sort of uh, framing of the topic that I felt was deeply. Problematic and unhelpful and distorting in terms of trying to understand the, 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 this problem at a deeper level, and so the need for to, to produce some scholarship on the subject is a way of um, addressing that void and filling that void. Um, and so we, 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 I had actually done a little bit of previous work on it on, on the subject of sectarianism before the book that Danny and I published um, about five years earlier. A colleague of mine was. Doing a book here at the University of Denver, where he asked me to contribute a chapter on the broad theme of religious leaders, conflict, and peacekeeping, and he asked me to look at, you know, the question of Sunni-Shia relations and, and conflict and peacekeeping. So I did a sort of a preliminary study of right. um, sectarianism uh, for that uh, uh, edited volume, which which was published in 2011, that uh, did form, an you know, the basis of the of the book that um, the Danny and I published. Uh, so there. Were, so you know. Just to summarize, it, 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 I was dragged into this subject because there was just uh, pretty evident, particularly after the Arab Spring in in different countries around the world, uh, different countries in the Middle East, specifically Syria, uh, Yemen. Uh, Iraq uh, in particular, an emerging sectarian dimension to the conflicts in those societies, of course, shaped by the broader, you know, Saudi-Iran rivalry that I thought needed to be addressed in some sort of serious and systematic way, which which then explains the uh, the book that, uh, that you referenced that Danny and I published.
0: Yeah, of course. And for anyone who's not read it, I, I strongly urge you to. It's called Sectarianization, Mapping the New Politics of the Middle East, by Nader and Danny Postel. It's published by Hearst. It came out in 2017. And it's it's a wonderful collection of, of essays from some of the leading scholars in the game right now. And it's it's fantastic. One of the things that I like most about the way you've, you've approached the topic is this, this bringing together of, of what was traditionally called levels of analysis, I guess. The idea of bringing together the, the domestic and the regional, the internal and the external. And I think as you rightly point out in the contemporary region we can't we can't separate that sectarian schism that's happening internally from those broader regional geopolitical currents
1: absolutely um one of the uh, we we do try and talk about those linkages, you know, what's happening domestically and the the regional currents that inform and 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 inflect and shape the debate. Uh, having published the book and having gone to several conferences and heard uh, feedback and constructive criticism, um, I'm now of the view that. Um, our core argument in that book still holds, but there was aspects of sectarianism that we, that we sort of missed. Um, we do talk about the broader regional dynamics and how that informs, um, you know, what's happening, uh, Domestically, within different countries, um, uh, we focus in, in that in, in the edited volume. We focus largely on sectarianism um, from above, and what I mean state sort of um, activity, state actors who are pursuing um, you know political agendas and who deliberately manipulate sectarian identities as a way of advancing their own careers, preserving power, yes. or preventing political change. Um, that's a big part of I think what drives sectarian. Uh, what drives sectarianism in the Middle East today? of course, are also informed by regional dynamics. There's also a, you know, an international, a broader international dimension to sectarianism that I think we don't pay sufficient attention to. We also, I think, don't pay sufficient attention to what um, what uh, what we call. Um, uh, in another essay that we that Danny and I have published, sectarianism from below, and that is sort of what's happening at the more local level that is not directly connected to state policy or to regional or international dimensions, and that is just the local group tensions that exist between different groups uh, in all societies, uh, in this case societies that have a mix of Sunni-Shia populations, and how those particular group dynamics do have um, their own tensions and dynamics that sometimes are inflamed and turn into bloody conflict, but also driven by these, you know, regional and, and international di- dimensions as well. That's the, that's an aspect of sectarianism that we don't explore in the book. It's really the work of, it requires really good on-the-ground field research and work by anthropologists yes. and sociologists that I'm really hoping that will 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 be a topic that other people can take up as a way of really understanding this this broader dynamic of sectarianism but from this local level which unfortunately so, we didn't really pay much attention to but I think really needs to be studied at a deeper level
0: I think as as you say the book sort of is the launch pad of a bit of a new trajectory it it offers a new way of viewing some of these sectarian divisions moving beyond the traditional uh, primordialist constructivist debate to bring in a more nuanced approach, and and I think it certainly will provoke a lot more rigorous uh, scholarly work done by by hopefully others such as anthropologists. But it's something that I've certainly come across in the work that I've been doing for my current book. The idea that that local actors are are taking advantage of these broader regional currents and. They, they're using those currents to create space on the ground to engage and interact with other groups that sometimes occasionally manifest in violence, but it's it's something that is becoming increasingly important across divided societies.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, it's understudied. Uh, of course, those local dynamics don't exist in a vacuum, but they do have their own. I think um, you know their own um, internal um, you know dynamics that are that are somewhat separate and need to be studied at at, at at studied. I think from from a local level, from the bottom up, as opposed to what we do in, in our book, from the top down. So, sure. um, and so I'm, I'm I'm glad that you 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 feel the same way that we do. That we hope that the book sort of does. Um, uh, produce and encourage other uh, scholars to investigate this broad theme of sectarianism from different dimensions that we uh, didn't have the opportunity to explore in our book.
0: Well sure it's a, a relatively long tome in its current form so I, uh, I dread to think what it could have been if you were to try and uncover all of these different things.
1: Right, absolutely. And then we sort of end with this theme that I know you're very interested in. And I'm really looking forward to the work that you and your colleagues will be producing. And I think it's a very important theme. We, we sort of end the book on this whole attempt to try and think about, you know, um, desectarianization. Yes. You know, what, socia- what social conditions need to be in place to try and uh, uh, roll back some of these negative, um, you know, uh, these negative uh, political dynamics that have torn um, uh, many Muslim societies. So that's something that we just sort of, you know, end the book on, but we don't really do any new research. And and I know this is a big theme of your own uh, research project. So all of us who are interested in this
0: theme are really looking forward to your contributions to this debate well thank you I hope that we can we can live up to the the high standard that you've set but on that note and and we're rapidly running out of time but I just want to get your thoughts on moving forward where do you see regional politics going in in the coming decade or so are you optimistic that that there can be a, a desectarianization or or is it a far more pessimistic view um,
1: I have to say I'm, I'm pessimistic at this moment and um, because you know this is a very dark and depressing period globally, but also yes, in terms of the politics true. of the Middle East, particularly after the Arab Spring, with the you know deepening of authoritarianism and the expansion of political despotism and the you know you know expanding of the chasm between Iran and Saudi Arabia, uh, you know it's never been this 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 bad. And so the prognosis, I, I would have to say, doesn't look very good. Um, now, having said that, you know, I think they're they're. Um um, you know, I don't want to. I don't. I always try to encourage my students to be somewhat optimistic. I don't <laughs> think that just because history uh, is passing through this dark moment, it's going to stay there. I think there is, you know, there are signs that one could point to, uh, particularly in the recent election in Iraq, where it seems like there are these now non-sectarian political movements that have formed coalitions that are really trying to uh, rally public opinion around, you know, good, good governance issues, delivering, um, you know. uh, Responding to the demands of of, of different populations and forming political coalitions that are based on um, cross sectarian uh, and cross ideological coalitions, I think that is a positive development. Whether it will transform Iraq or not, I have no, um, I have no, um, you know, uh, I won't wager an opinion on. But at least that is something that one could point to. uh, Also, in the case of Lebanon, these you know these um, these protests among young people in terms of trying to address issues with respect to the garbage problem and. In, uh, in Lebanon. I mean, those those youth movements. Um, but I think fundamentally in terms of the future prognosis, um, you know, the, the regional relationship between Iran and Saudi Arabia is absolutely critical. I mean, it's not a coincidence. If you look at over the last 40 years, I think sectarianism, the, the level and the intensity has in many ways overlapped with the um, and has been deeply shaped by the status of, you know, the relationship between Saudi Arabia and Iran during the first decade after the revolution. Things were very bad and you see a spike in in sectarian tensions, but the 1990s was actually a period where after the Iran-Iraq War, after the death of Khomeini and after the re-establishing of relationship Uh, diplomatic relations between Riyadh and Tehran, you do see, I think, uh, a change in the the level and the intensity of sectarianism in the region, which then uh, again is shattered as a result of the American invasion of Iraq and um, the regional uh, upheaval that that unfolds as a result of that that political event. So I think that's an important, I think, um, theme to look at. Unfortunately, right now, with the current leadership in Saudi Arabia that views Iran, uh, just to Quote from the current crown prince views Iran is worse than Nazi Germany. It's very difficult to envision while he is at the helm of the Saudi state any sort of um, um, you know um, a better better future for sectarian relations. And of course, Iran's I think very catastrophic and very um, abysmal and morally indefensible uh, policy in Syria has really inflamed tensions across the region for you know for arguably for generations to come. Uh, Iran has a lot. To to answer for in terms of its um, regional policy, particularly in Syria, which I, I think really has exacerbated sectarian tensions in ways that no one uh, could have predicted. So things do not look optimistic, at least from that perspective. Um, but of course, we, 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 we hope for um, you know, political change and opportunities where, where these issues can be addressed and this problem can be sort of dealt with in, in, a, in a much more serious way.
0: We certainly do. And I think that, although that is a very gloomy note to end on, there is a, a glimmer of, of hope and possibility in the sense that although sectarian difference has been constructed, politicised, securitized, there have been moments where there has been a burgeoning rapprochement. So that suggests that there is a possibility of a, of a more improved situation. So on that slightly more optimistic note, uh, all that remains for me to say is thank you so much to Nader Hashemi. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And um, I hope to speak to you all soon.
1: Thanks, Simon, for the opportunity I look forward to meeting sometime in person in the near future.
0: Thank you.